Hello there, it's Memory from Friends Abroad Relationship School. Hi. Um, so today I am going to share the trauma and relationship uh, situations and issues in the movie The Intruder, which stars Michael Ely. Megan Good and Dennis Quaid. So at the start of this movie, we see the main character who is Scott. And Scott has just been picked up by his best friend, uh, Mike. And they're driving to a surprise party, which his wife, Annie, has arranged or has thrown for him. His wife believed in him, which is something that I picked up from the start. His wife was very supportive and she believed that her husband would be able to accomplish um, his mission, his goals. And um, in that episode, we noticed that um, Scott the main actor is now discussing with his wife because he's one uh, uh you know he has done really well with his work and now he wants to share this with his wife and also to keep a promise that he made to, to his wife which is very important in our relationships to keep promises they saw a house in napa uh and the wife really loved the house so the Scott wants to buy this house for his wife. And the thing is, they want to see this house together. And this is where the story now starts to unravel. This house is owned by Charlie, who claims that his wife died of cancer. And he offers the house and actually had to, uh, to, 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 to give them a discount because, um, Scott was not willing to just pay that whole amount that he had offered the house for. And apparently this house had been on the market for a long time. For me, there's something I picked up about this couple. Uh, it's their naivety. They were quite naive. They didn't really stop to think and consider why the house had been on the market for a long time. They didn't do their research. All they did was look at the house and they really loved it. But when they also met Charlie the first time, there was something odd about him. And he shook hands with the wife, um, Annie, my, uh, Scott's wife. And he actually held her hand for too long, which was a red flag from the start. And we learn later on that this man was in debt left, right, and center. But the theme in this movie that I have picked up is about where people struggle to let go, where people hold on, where people put their worthiness in the hands of a thing or a person. They feel that if they don't own this thing or they don't maintain ownership of a thing, 
it makes them feel less than and this is the theme that this movie is wrapped around and to struggle with letting go comes also with a lot of trauma there has to be something in someone's life a loss abandonment or rejection in childhood that makes someone holds on to the point that they can self-destruct or lead to destroying other people and other things in their lives or the lives of others so one thing with annie and scott is that they wanted the house desperately annie did and scott loved his wife and wanted to make her happy and charlie seemed to have picked that up he picked that up from the start that Annie really loved the house. So he relied on that to actually ensure that they, you know, he gave them an offer for the house and they took it. And they had a house party with their friends. Um, Scott had a friend, Mike, who we see at the start of the movie. And Mike had a girlfriend, Rachel. So they had a house party. And Mike went out to smoke, the friend, and he had a, a, a sound. And then he tried to say hello or to find out who it was, but there was no response. And he, then he threw his cigarette in the lawn. When he went back to his car after the party, when he and his girlfriend were now leaving, he saw a cigarette burn on his seat. And it was a lovely sports car. And he tried to explain to the other three, but they didn't really believe that it was not his fault because he was a smoker. And there's an interesting aspect that I picked up about Mike. He called his car his temple where he would never smoke. And again, this is what we do in life when we treasure something so much, you know, he didn't think that his body was a temple for him not to smoke, but he would never smoke in his car. And, and that's very, very interesting. And another thing that I picked up about him also was the way that he spoke to his girlfriend, Rachel. It might have been a one-off, but there was a level of disrespect when he spoke to Rachel and he said, when, when Rachel said something about this smoking, about the, uh, the cigarette mark, he said, Rachel, shut your magic lips. And that was very disrespectful. And I also picked up that Rachel was trying to be defensive because she was thinking that he was accusing her. And that actually feels like there were some problems in the way they communicated in their relationship. Although, of course, there isn't much about them that's um, shared in the movie about them as a couple. There were some issues there. And Scott himself, although very sharp, he did look a bit apprehensive and anxious, which is probably why he was smoking. Um, then um, we have 
Scott and his wife, Annie, in the ice cream parlor. They went to get some ice cream. And there is a, an indication of jealous on um, Annie's part. I didn't pick up the disrespect that she indicated from her husband, but she was jealous about the way her husband spoke to a mixed race girl who was behind the car, um, the counter because he asked for uh, for an ice cream and asked her for her opinion of what he can have. And the girl said that he could have a swirl instead of vanilla or chocolate. And then he referred to her as a swell <laughs> and uh, of course the wife didn't like that and and um, it, it, in some way we could look at that as a bit of a control issue because if you are secure in yourself surely that kind of talk would not bother you that much and Ami was a very beautiful girl but you can see that it doesn't matter how you look insecurity is within it's not outside and what how we look doesn't really matter on the whole large scheme of things because this was a beautiful looking girl being very insecure about someone who was behind the counter and they were quite a successful couple and this girl was a cashier behind the counter so all those things as i say they don't matter. It's how people feel on the inside that matters more than anything. So they had a bit of a, a chat about that, um, you know, a, a bit of an argument along those lines. Um, and then we see Charles' first appearance. They have bought the house. They are now moved in. And we see Charles cutting the grass cutting the lawn and he said that he had noticed the grass getting out of hand and this is a person who sold the house to this couple and he is coming to cut the grass because he was not happy about how it was getting out of hand not and he then said to Scott Moving on is a lot harder than I thought. Whether it's Scott or, or Annie, he said this to somebody. He realized that it was hard to move on. And the truth is, this man did not sell the house because he wanted to. He sold the house because he was in debt. But even then, even though he was in debt, he could still have moved on and found some other place to stay. But... He didn't really want to. So he told this couple uh, that he was living at the Royal Hotel, which was in the village. And he also gave Annie a list of numbers to contact numbers of people that knew the house and that he specifically wanted them to contact to work in the house. And this is a control issue. You can see how toxic and controlling he has already started to be. And this is not a romantic relationship. 
It's a relationship where he sold a house to these people. But this can happen in any walk or part of our lives where we can meet people who are that toxic and they can want to control in some way, some aspects of our lives. And he left specific instructions about what needs to be done. And then Annie invited him for Thanksgiving. And Scott, the husband, was wise. And he told her that they barely knew this guy. And really, he was concerned about her inviting him. But he just had to go along with what she had done. So Thanksgiving, Charlie visits and he questions the replacement painting that they have put in the house and seems unhappy about it. And again, that's another red flag, which is showing he's not happy about the changes in a house that he has sold and he has moved out of. How toxic can that be you have sold a house you have got the money and you still want to hold on and then they had a toast of course um mike and rachel the friends were also present he he toasted to annie and this is another significant event in there he's beginning to develop interest He's got so much interest in Annie. And Annie is a married woman. So then he follows Scott out, Mike outside, Mike the friend of Scott. And he follows him and um, Mike is smoking and they have a chat and he opens up to Mike that he drives by the house from time to time. Because Mike has recognized that Charlie is not moving on. He was the first person to pick that up. He felt that there was something off about this guy. You know, the vibes that people talk about. He picked that up. And the problem is, even with that background information that they were getting, nobody really took much action. So Mike, another significant event. Mike puts out a cigarette on the statue and Charlie blew the cigarette ash um, after Mike had left. And that's how possessive he was of this property. Because this was a, property, a statue and the property. How much he couldn't let go. And how much he couldn't just say, oh, you know, it would be nice if you don't do that. Because these are, you know, this is property. And, but then there was no harm because it was, um, it was a concrete um, statue. So really, nothing happened to it. But that's how much he was obsessed with the place. And how much people can be obsessed with something or someone. And the thing about it is, when you see someone being possessed, uh, sorry, obsessed about something or someone to that point, which is what we talk about in relationships, you've got to be careful because you can end up with someone committing a crime or this person can actually harm you because it doesn't matter whether it's just a, a property or a house even with us human beings if you find that you are too obsessed with a person and you can cannot let go 
The next thing that you are bound to do is to commit a crime. And I've said this before, people do commit crimes of passion and get away with it. Why? Because many people do not consider that as uh, something that you need to report to the police um, and also something that you really should do against someone who loves you. But it's no longer love, you see, when someone is that obsessed. It's no longer love. It's now dangerous. It's an attachment. It's obsession. And it leads to someone doing anything. They can do anything to get what they want, which is unhealthy. And Mike also recognizes that it was Charlie who put, um, who bent his car seat. And he told his friends and his girlfriend. And then they went into the woods with, um, with, with Scott to actually see if there was somebody in the woods at the insistence of Mike. And they saw a car. And when they saw that car, it, it, it just moved away. They couldn't really see who it was. And what happened again the next day, Scott um, decides to install cameras in Charlie's, um, and Charlie comes by. He can see everything happening and he turns up at the most convenient times. And he tries to push for a stop you know, so that the workmen could stop installing those cameras. And then Scott had to be really firm and told him that this was his property now. It was no longer Charlie's property. The thing about it is there isn't much about the cameras that you see, apart from, you know, the floodlights, you know, the intruder lights, only ones. But, you know, they could probably have been used better in the movie. But then again, that is the movie. And then at night, um, Mike, one night, hears a creaking sounds, and um, Annie just said it was an old house. And then Mike goes, sorry, not Mike, um, Scott, sorry, I'm confusing the names. Scott goes out and misses Charlie standing in the woods. Again, next day, they find him near the shade with a gun which triggers Scott because his brother was shot. And that's also very important. You know what triggers someone and you avoid it. And he, he sort of, I think he probably had an idea, but he did these things to trigger Scott or to annoy uh, Scott. And Annie is naive because he keeps defending Charlie. You can actually consider whether Annie had daddy issues uh, maybe she thought she had found a friend, a father figure to confide in because she was really um, sympathetic towards Charlie. She was very much supportive of his coming to the house. He didn't have any problems with that. And she actually had problems with how her husband responded to Charlie. And she couldn't actually notice that Charlie was into her romantically. She didn't pick that up. And so it, to me, it actually sort of indicates that she had some issues in a upbringing 
which probably made her feel that maybe she was being loved by a father figure and she saw Charlie as someone that she could talk to, someone that she could be there for and that he could also be there for her. Not knowing that she was setting herself up for something very, very dangerous, a very dangerous and toxic situation, something that could actually have led to her death. And so because um, because of this, um, this discussion about Charlie with the gun, they argue, Annie and, and Scott, they start to argue about, um, about Charlie. And this is again the problem where one partner is doing one thing and the other partner is doing something else. Although people have different of opinion, but I think in this situation, it was important. It could have been important if they were both on the same page. Because that is a situation where someone is coming into the house, one partner is okay with it, and another partner is not okay with it. And I think that causes a lot of friction. So it could have been best if they had reached a compromise. But Annie continued to do his own thing, and Scott was insistent that it was not safe. So Charlie actually knew that knew what he was doing, and he knew that he was creating a rift between the couple, because he knew how Scott felt about him. And then at work, Scott has done really well again, and he's invited to the bar for drinks by a Jillian. And it, it was as if they knew each other more than just as, um, as, as, as work, work colleagues. I think there was more to their relationship. And again, that's something very, that can be threatening to a relationship, something we need to be aware of in our relationships. When people work together and they have a history, there is a need for very strong boundaries, especially strong self-boundaries. Although Scott didn't really have a problem per se, perhaps, because he loved his wife, but because of the situation with his wife, where they were now starting to argue about Charlie, I think he was vulnerable. He was so vulnerable that he could, he could probably have ended up doing something silly, something that he would have regretted. So he went to the bar and yes, he proceeded to do something that he had stopped doing for a while because he texted Annie. It was an agreement between them that they call, not text. Why? Because there was a history where before he sent a text and he was with someone and he was repeating that again and it seemed like he was with that same person it might have been Gillian that he was with maybe but this is just speculation and Annie called him because she was surprised about the text she was worried about the text and she asked him why he was texting instead of calling and she also reminded him what had happened the previous time that he had texted instead of calling and what i picked up here is uh, is that sometimes we drag the past into relationships and that can be damaging to relationships because 
we don't know what Scott could have done. And what I feel is that everyone deserves the trust until they mess things up. They don't need to be told what to do or to be reminded of what they did before. You might have texted before and done something, but it didn't mean to say if he texted again, he was going to be doing something. Excuse me. However, we noticed that after the phone call, Jillian comes to him and she actually tries to, to kiss him. She's trying to take advantage and he said no. He knew his boundaries and he knew it was only work and he went home. So that was very powerful and very, very important. Um, but also, Annie could have trusted her husband a bit and not dragged the past into the present. And she had been with Charlie. She had allowed Charlie into the house and they had been having drinks with Charlie. So the other thing also that I found really powerful in the modern world of dating is that this couple actually went for therapy before they got married. They really went into a conscious kind of relationship because they got support before getting married after that situation with the where Scott had texted Annie and he had been with someone and they were not married yet. Although of course, most likely they were in a long-term relationship. So after this incident where he came back home after drinks and she has been with Charlie, they argued and they slept separately and they both woke up when they heard sounds. So in the end, they make up and they make love. And Charlie is standing in the doorway. They can't see him. And he is looking at them, watching them, making love. And that is really scary to think that you are making love with your wife in your house and someone is standing in the doorway watching. That's how dangerous this man was. That's how traumatized he was to the point that he could watch other people, you know, watch a couple making love because he looked at that house as his, even though he had sold it. But also, I think he was actually looking at Annie as his own. We'll find that out later when I, when I talk about that. Then, um, Scott, the husband, goes out um, and uh, I think it was a coffee shop and he meets Grady, a neighbor, who lives a mile down the road and he told Scott the truth about Ellen's death. Ellen was Charlie's wife and Charlie was claiming that his wife died of um, cancer but it turns out that she died of um, gunshot, um, gunshot wounds and the thing is Charlie actually was uh, threatened with jail but there was no evidence that he had killed his wife. But that's not what he told this couple. And now, to Scott, the bells are beginning to ring even louder. 
So Mike goes home and tells Annie that there's something sketchy about, um, about Charlie. And my problem, again, is I watch this movie, although it's a movie, but people can also do that. The problem is that I was wondering how long it was going to take this couple to contact the police and why it is that they were entertaining this person without really either investigating him or reporting him for being an intruder. So after making up, they have a date night. And this is also very important in our relationships. We need a date night weekly, whatever you do, however busy you are, in order to keep your relationship going, in order to keep your relationship enjoy enjoyable, you need to have a date night. You need to keep dating each other. Because if you stop dating each other, everything might also date. Sometimes we end up just going through the motions in a relationship because we are familiar. We now know each other and nothing matters anymore. We just stay at home, look after the children and so forth. But it is important to have a date night in your relationship. It will help you to keep noticing the newness, uh, introducing newness, and also introducing novelty. And also you need to create space at the same time so that when you come together, you've got something new to talk about. You miss each other and desire is created in that space. So after the date, they decide now to go to the Royal Hotel where um, Charlie said he was staying and they find him there. And the only reason they find him there, they don't know this is because this man is following them everywhere they go. He's keeping an eye on them. But because they found him in this hotel, they were content thinking that that's where he's actually staying, but he was actually just having drinks. And then Scott tells Charlie that he needs, Charlie needs to stay away from Annie because he has noticed that Charlie is into Annie. And when he had left, when Scott and Annie have left, we now start to notice more signs of mental health problems, more signs of trauma um, in Charlie. He starts to hear voices and you can see him contorting his face. He is now really, really angry. I'm sure we probably didn't see it, but he probably was on tablets or was not taking tablets, but he needed them. This man was really sick, the way that he behaved. And he ran Scott off the road when Scott went out for his job. Charlie ran him off the road with his van, with his truck. Scott did not see who ran him off the road. He went to hospital. And um, when he was in hospital, he asked, he's now, he now decided to take action. A bit too late, but he decided he had to. 
And again, you are wondering why they had to wait that long to take action when they were not safe and they lived in the middle of nowhere. So he called Mike, his friend, to investigate Charlie. And they found out that Charlie was in, de in debt and there was a lot of um, problems in Charlie's life. And at the same time, Annie is at home and she's having a bath and she hears the sound um, and Charlie brings Annie a pizza and he wanted her to invite him over and she did. And um, the thing about it is Annie didn't think to ask or to be curious about how Charlie found out that she was on her own and her husband was in hospital. But she just spent this evening with him. And that same evening, Scott asked Mike, his friend, to go to the house. And Charlie saw Mike because Mike was actually peeping. He didn't actually get knock or get in the house because he saw Charlie's car and he wanted to investigate and find out what he was doing there. And unfortunately, Charlie saw Scott and came out and killed, um, killed Scott. Sorry, not Scott, but Mike. He came out and killed Mike. And, and that's really where you notice how sick this man was and how desperate he was. He killed him, he killed Mike, because he felt that Mike was going to stand between him and his second chance. Because he was thinking he was getting a second chance because he was eyeing Annie. And of course, eyeing Annie to get back the house and to live with Annie. I think that's what he had planned now in his life. And... Um, Scott comes back home from hospital. He's been trying to call Annie and he, he comes back from hospital and um, Annie doesn't know about Mike, that um, Scott sent Mike and that Mike didn't actually um, arrive because she said Mike didn't, um, didn't come here and Scott was really concerned. And again, they didn't think to uh, contact Mike's home or maybe to contact the police. But then again, maybe they thought that he just didn't keep his promise. And then we see another scene where Charlie watches Annie showering and he's now obsessed with Annie and he starts to take off his own clothes. So I don't know what his plan was there. He was probably going to join Annie um, or try to do something. Unfortunately, he was disturbed by a phone call. And then Scott arrives and he tells Charlie that he knows about his bankruptcy and his whole situation. And then the next thing is Scott talks to Annie and then about what he has found out about Charlie. And they then get a try to get a restraining order and they couldn't get one then because it was found out that actually Charlie was not staying at the hotel where he had claimed that he was staying. And this is where things are starting to unfold and it's too late. And then 
he also finds out about Charlie's daughter who has changed her name and she tells uh, Scott that her father killed her mother and made it out to look like a suicide. And this is when things just start to fall apart. Annie finds out that all this time, Charlie has been living in the basement. He never left the house. And Charlie is now trying to convince Annie that um, whatever he's doing, he's going to do it for her. And he's now really delusional. And Annie is calm and manages to convince Charlie to leave so that she can rest because she doesn't feel good. And then she stumbles on the basement, finds out everything, and her husband comes home and they fight with Charlie and he tries to kill them. But in the end, they killed him. But the, the, the situation that I wanted to share about abandonment and rejection is that um, Charlie was really, really struggling to let go. And it looked like he had a massive history of abandonment trauma and rejection. So I think this house was the only thing that he had that he felt could make him look like someone or like a man. It also sounds as if he killed his wife because of that house, because the, apparently she wanted to divorce him and he killed her. And in that discussion, there was also the house because she was going to take the house away from him. And that's how much obsessed he was. That was the only thing that mattered to him. He couldn't move on anywhere else. And what I'm trying to say here is not so much about a house. It's about things. And for us, really, it's, it's um, more to do with relationships, with people. We hold on and we attach our goals or we attach someone to our goals. We cannot move on and look into the abundance of the universe we focus on this one person this one house as if it's the first and last house the first and last person in this life to appear in our lives and in that we can become stagnant we can get stuck in that spot and in the end as i said we can end up committing crime because you are holding on to someone who you need to let go of, someone who has moved on to some, someone else. You are holding on to a house that you have sold to another person and you want to keep that house as if it's your own. You want to control, you want to, um, to give instructions and you want to stay with this person. You want to tell them what to do. You want to block um, they are moving on. You want to block anyone who they are talking to. You want to tell them who to talk to. The only problem is you end up being an abuser when you do that. 
It becomes a control strategy and it becomes an abusive and toxic situation and we don't realize that things can just escalate and situations become toxic when we hold on or we try to control outcomes when we try to tell people what to do or when we try to stop people from doing what they want to do we become abusive we become toxic and in the end if people don't do what we want to do and they don't listen or maybe when we don't get what we want because we are attaching just this one thing to our goals we will do anything anything under the sun to get it and when we do anything this is when we can violate other people and we can end up as i said committing crimes and some people this is why you can have someone getting a restraining order. You can get someone, you know, um, being reported or something happens because someone is fed up. And some people, what you don't realize is when you hold on or try to force outcomes, you can also force outcomes in a situation where someone is more toxic than you are. And that person can harm you. And then you become a victim but you have this, you are the one who has started this campaign so it is important that we don't really attach something or someone to our goals we accept people as cooperative components of our goals or whatever we want to achieve we meet people if things are working fine work together and if things start to deteriorate we accept that they have served their purpose in their in our lives and maybe we need to move forward and find something else this man got his money for the house he could have gone and bought a smaller place and lived his life grieved the loss of his um his house because it was a lovely place yes we know that it was beautiful but nothing is not is it is worth losing yourself over nobody is worth abandoning yourself for you reject yourself when you start chasing someone who is not chasing you you abandon yourself when you start pursuing someone whose goals are not aligned with you you are letting yourself go when you pursue someone who is toxic and who is not good for you so it is very important that we identify when things, situations, have come to their end by date and actually be thankful and say, well, we had a good time when we did. Um, it doesn't feel like a good time anymore, so perhaps it's time to let go. This man started out a campaign of abuse, but in the end, he died in the house that he loved and this is again what can happen if we are not careful and we attach things to our goals and we attach our worthiness on something and someone we can end up killing ourselves or dying in the places that we think 
we love, but that we are only attached to. So don't die before your death. Look after yourself. There is so much out there for everyone. Keep moving. One day you will thank yourself for keeping moving forward and for letting go. I hope that was helpful. And I hope we keep working on ourselves and not allow ourselves to hold on to people or things. We need to learn the art of letting go. Quality life before relationships. Thank you for watching everyone. Um, who is it? Admire, Greta, Monica and Deborah. See you soon.